0: hello my friend this has been an unbelievable year for creative elements i launched the trailer on march 10th and i've released an episode every week since that's 40 episodes and each of these episodes takes me somewhere between 8 and 20 hours to produce from beginning to end so we're talking about 13 to 33 full days spent on creative elements this year the hard work has paid off in large part to you dear listener Through 2020, Creative Elements has crossed nearly 400,000 downloads, including a couple of episodes with more than 20,000 downloads themselves. The show has been so successful, actually, that a lot of people have asked me questions about how I produce this show. And so I created an online course. It's called Podcasts Like the Pros, and it will teach you how to make a high-quality, professional-sounding show, even if you have a small team or a small budget like me. It's 36 lessons, 5 hours of content, and I even bring in my small team to help me teach it. That includes Brian, the producer for our music, Nathan, my audio engineer, and Jeff, the CEO of The Podglomerate. More than 50 students have enrolled already, and the feedback has been super, super positive. It's amazing. So if you're interested in podcasting, you can find the link in the show notes. The proceeds go directly towards the future down payment on a home that Mallory and I are looking to buy early in 2021. Okay, today, because we're sitting at that magical week between Christmas and New Year's, I wanted to take a short break and re-air our most popular episode of the year. This conversation with Kwame Christian originally aired on September 1st. It broke 20,000 downloads and is a conversation that I think about pretty frequently. I shared one of Kwame's big ideas in last week's clip show, but I've been looking at Kwame as an example of a creator who is a couple steps ahead of me in what he is building. And having this very real, very honest conversation really helped me to think more strategically about how I go about building my business. It's only fitting that Kwame's creative element was, in fact, strategy. So if you haven't listened to it already, I think you'll really enjoy it. And if you have already listened to this conversation, you probably won't regret listening to it again. There's a ton of wisdom here, and I think the start of a new year is the perfect time to remind ourselves what's in this conversation. Thanks for supporting me this year. It means a lot, and we're just getting started. I can't wait to share with you some incredible episodes to start 2021. I'd love to hear more about your year. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter, at jklaus. Send me a message, let me know what's going on. Or if you prefer, you can always email me, j jay at We'll get to this conversation with Kwame Christian here in a minute. But first, Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work, but it doesn't have to be. HubSpot for startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects your sales, marketing, and support all together so you can increase leads, fast-track deals, smooth out support and join a platform that more than 190,000 top brands trust. Plus, they have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. HubSpot also offers discounts for startups on their top rated customer platform and not the kind of discounts that barely make a dent. I'm talking about meaningful savings of up to 90%. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit hubspot.com slash startups.
1: You have to be willing to lead that conversation. And not only would that lead to better outcomes just from negotiation perspective, but it will make them more easily persuadable because they see you as that authority figure.
0: Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, my friend. It's that time again. It's time for another episode of Creative Elements. I'm grateful to be spending time with you here today. Thank you for tuning in. And I think you're going to be really glad that you clicked play on this episode. I've never read the book Cad's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut, but at some point I was introduced to a concept in that book that has really stuck with me for like 10 years. The term is Karas, K-A-R-A-S-S. It's a made-up term from a made-up religion in the book called Bokanism. Vonnegut describes Acheris as a group of people linked in a cosmically significant manner, even when superficial linkages are not evident. Maybe you've noticed in your own life that there seems to be a handful of people who you see all the time and seem to keep running into, even though you aren't necessarily in the same social circles or even in the same line of work. I know this sounds a little woo-woo, but this idea has stuck with me, like I said, for almost 10 years. In all this to say, today's guest is one of those people who seems to be in a charis with me. Kwame Christian is one of the foremost experts in the field of negotiation and conflict resolution. He's the director of the American Negotiation Institute, the host of the Negotiate Anything podcast, and the author of Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life. Kwame's Negotiate Anything podcast has more than 1.5 million downloads. His book was an Amazon bestseller, and he conducts both workshops and keynote speeches all over the world. And recently, Kwame published two courses on LinkedIn Learning called How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race at Work and Driving Change and Anti-Racism Within Your Organization. But Kwame wasn't always so comfortable with conflict. In his very popular 2017 TEDx talk, Kwame talks about how he himself became more confident in conflict after a conversation with a mentor.
1: He said, Kwame, there is a big difference between being liked and being respected. And if you want to have personal and professional success, you need to be willing to engage with conflict. So after that meeting, I forced myself to have the difficult conversations that I spent my whole life trying to avoid. And as I built this new habit, I discovered something life-changing. Conflict is an opportunity. Conflict provides you with the unique opportunity to either repair and strengthen valuable relationships, or identify and remove malignant relationships with minimal damage. So how do we actually engage with the conflict at hand? You remember fight, flight, or freeze? I suggest that we use a more evolved response to conflict resolution, something that I like to call compassionate curiosity.
0: You may still be wondering why I brought up the whole Caris and Kurt Vonnegut thing. Kwame lives in Columbus, Ohio, where I also happen to live. When I was an undergrad at Ohio State back in 2011, I was a communications intern at the Ohio State Moritz College of Law At the same time that Kwame was getting his law degree, I would constantly come across Kwame's name and his work while I wrote for the law school. And then on March 11th, 2017, yes, I know this exact date because I looked it up in my calendar, Kwame and I had our first actual face-to-face conversation. It was a casual meeting for coffee at a local coffee shop, and neither of us really had much of an agenda or reason for meeting. We just realized that we had a lot of mutual friends. Towards the end of that conversation, Kwame turned his compassionate curiosity towards me and asked what I was working on. I told him that I wanted to quit my job and start my own business. I just wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And kind of offhand, he said to me, if I had your network, I would facilitate mastermind groups. I had no idea what a mastermind group was. So he explained to me, I'm a lawyer. I meet with a handful of other lawyers a couple times each month and we help each other grow our business. I literally took that advice and I ran with it. The next month, I quit my job. A month after that, I was facilitating my first mastermind group under my own business, Unreal Collective. And since that time, I've worked with 25 different groups of entrepreneurs through the Unreal Collective Accelerator program. More than 100 entrepreneurs have worked through that program now. It has been the core of my business since going out on my own in 2017. We've only really chatted a couple times since then, and so I was really excited to get on the mics with Kwame and catch up here for this podcast, because he has come a long way since then, too. In this episode, we talk about Kwame's brief look into politics, how to lead negotiations, thinking long term, taking risks, how he manages his time, and why strategy has been at the heart of all of his decisions. I absolutely love this conversation and the clarity of thought that Kwame brings to it. And I think that you will too. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Send me a message on Twitter or on Instagram at jklaus. Let me know you're listening. And be sure to join the Creative Elements listener group on Facebook, where I'll be sharing some of Kwame's best resources throughout the week. But without further ado, let's hear from Kwame.
1: Unlike the majority of my, my friends, I did not want to be a practicing lawyer. That was not really the, uh, the goal for me. So my, my undergrad degree is in psychology. And so psychology, major, minor, and foundations of law, and Spanish. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist initially. That's what I wanted to do. I love psychology because I like to help people. And so I said, oh, okay, you know what? Thinking a little bit more strategically about this, I can help more people if I get into politics and then if I can change policy, then I help a broader swath of people. So let's go that route. So I I switched directions and decided to go into law school. So I went to law school and then got my master of public policy at the same time. And as I started to learn more about law policy and in particular politics, the more I started to fall out of love with it because I said, I can't accept this lifestyle. I would have to sacrifice too much of what I care about, my morals in order to be successful here. And I wouldn't want to do that to my family seeing how it tears people apart. It's just not a lifestyle that I want to live. And so I found myself graduated to advanced degrees, being sworn in after passing the bar, asking myself what I want to be when I grow up.
0: I can't resist Diving into that a little bit deeper, can you talk about what you learned as you got closer to politics that made you think, this actually won't let me create the change that I wanted to create? Yeah, I,
1: here's the thing, I love chess. I love playing chess, I'm obsessed. I'm, I mean, 13,000 games of online chess on chess.com type of obsessed. And wow. um, I had to ask myself, do I want to be a powerful chess piece or do I want to be the chess master? Do I want to be the chess player? Uh, If you're on the board, you're always in danger. And no matter how high you go in the political ranks, you're still being manipulated by somebody who's more powerful, but who has the safety off of the board. And I recognize that no matter how high I got, I'm I'm still not, (laughs) I'm still really not the king, even if you get that title. Also recognizing that in in America it's a binary choice, Democrat, Republican, I don't have many friends who fit very nicely into either party and I'm, I'm not one of them either, but I would have to sacrifice a part of myself in order to swear allegiance to a team that I don't fully subscribe to. And uh, I was really into this. I uh, interned at the state Senate and um, I would every day, every day during school, I would listen to an hour of like MSNBC, an hour of Fox News and an hour of NPR to try to get something close to the middle <laughs> to That's figure dedication. out what was going on. Yeah. And then I realized this is ridiculous. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And it was actually a, a trip to Costa Rica that really
0: opened my eyes to help me to see what, what the reality was. Wow. Okay. So you, you put all this time and even resources into going to law school. Your thought is I'm going to go into politics. I'm guessing as you're getting close to the end of law school or after you graduate from law school, you know, you said you had to figure out what you wanted to be when you grew up. How did you start to parse through that after so much investment in this path?
1: Yeah. So it was interesting. I stumbled upon negotiation in law school, and I think that might've been really the first exposure I had to the concept really on a deep level. And I just happened to take a course because it fit into my schedule. And I fell in love because it was the first time I really saw psychology very clearly. It was psychology applied for a legal or business purpose. So I, I became obsessed. And so after the course, we had a negotiation competition. I didn't even know at the time that OSU was the second ranked dispute resolution program in the country. No clue. I just, (laughs) I really stumbled into it. Also the best
0: synchronized swimming team in the country. Are you serious? Yeah.
1: That's crazy. (laughs) I didn't know that. That's wild. So, so yeah, we they had this competition, a negotiation competition. I didn't know that we had a, you know, you have mock trial. They also have mock negotiations. So we did the negotiation competition, me and a partner, and we won the competition at Moritz, Ohio State College of Law. And that gave us the opportunity to represent the school at regionals in Ottawa, Ontario. And we won that competition as well. And then we made it to the semifinals of the national competition in New Orleans. And so after that, I was just hooked. I said, I don't know what it is that I'm going to do specifically, but I know negotiation is gonna be a big part of it. And the thing that was so interesting to me was that, and I talk about this in my TED talk and in my book, um, I'm a recovering people pleaser. My family's from the Caribbean, so I had a strong Caribbean accent when I was growing up. So not only did I look different, I also sounded different. And not surprisingly, this combination made it real tough for the young boy to fit in. So because of this, I became obsessed with finding ways to gain the acceptance of my peers, and eventually, I became one of the most popular kids at school. But this came with a price. I became deathly afraid of saying or doing something that could potentially jeopardize the relationships that I worked so hard to create. I became a people pleaser, and this made it less likely for me to stand up for myself in difficult conversations. In other words, I would freeze or flee in the face of conflict. This led me to agree when I actually disagreed and avoid confrontation at all costs. I was really really bad at conflict resolution and to recognize that it was it wasn't a talent it was a skill that could be nurtured and improved upon uh, it was mind blowing to me and um recognizing that other people would struggle in this type of way I wanted to share this skill set with as many people as I could so I knew that was the trajectory I just needed to figure out how to get there
0: As I get older I have that same realization about so many things of I'm bad at this. Oh, wait, it's something that I can learn. It's, it's something about getting older. We just forget the process of learning in that a necessary part of that process is being really bad at the beginning. We just have like no willingness to be bad at something.
1: Yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, the book, I think, Angela Duckworth of uh, Mindset, um, whether it's the fixed, no, Carol Dweck. Angela Duckworth is grit um, so um, yeah the growth mindset versus fixed mindset and what's really interesting is that sometimes we can have that growth mindset in specific areas of our life but also have a fixed mindset in another area and we need to do a little bit of introspection to, to recognize that potential barrier that we're creating for ourselves by not appreciating the fact that we can improve if it's something that's necessary in order to get to where we want to go
0: so you're recognizing that you have the struggle with conflict resolution, and yet you're winning these negotiation competitions. Now that you have the benefit of a lot of years of study of negotiation, have you kind of pinpointed what made you so effective early on and what maybe what's intuitive that you were doing really well?
1: Yeah, I think it was the fear <laughs> of performing poorly that forced me to prepare at a higher level. There's a study out of the Thunderbird School of Management uh, where they did a, a study of 230 mock negotiations and they separated it where the control group, they read the prompt and then they just negotiated with the experimental group. What they did is they took the time to prepare thoroughly and then they negotiated and the differences between those two groups is that the group that took the time to prepare, they were able to generate 11% more value for themselves and at the same time, 6% more value for the other side. And so they were able to create a better deal for themselves, but other people enjoyed negotiating with them because they were collaborative and creative and created value for them too. And think about that, no new skills, no skills, no tactics. And that alone helped them to improve. And so for us, with with me and my partner, Chris, uh, we just practice and practice and practice. And I think we just outworked everybody else. And um, it, it really showed when it came time to perform.
0: I love that you said that, and I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the tactics and negotiation on this show, but a lot of people listening to this are creatives, they're freelancing, and what I tell so many freelancers is if you're going to go into talking about a project or a contract negotiation, you need to think about what you want and what you're willing to walk away from because so many people go into these negotiations with no idea what they actually want, how they're going to present their argument for it and they walk away with something they're unhappy with. And I think it just comes down to preparation. Maybe you can expand on that a little bit.
1: Absolutely, and, and before I forget, let me say this, I have a free gift for your audience too. It's uh, just a treasure trove of preparation guides, negotiation guides. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com, you can get access to over 15 different negotiation guides, a, a regular business preparation guide that you can use in any type of business negotiation, salary negotiation, introverts guide to negotiation, how to negotiate for a car, all of these things <laughs> over 15. And you can get that and it'll help you to actually systematically prepare because sometimes you say, Hey, prepare. You're like, okay, should I like Google something? what, What what does that look like? And this walks you through what you should do. But yeah, Jay, you're absolutely right. The thing is not all deals are meant to be made. And so I think about negotiation, like not, not as the art of deal making, but as the art of deal discovery. We're going to have this conversation. We're going to see if there's a deal to be made. And if you take the time to prepare and then simply ask for more and do it in the right way, you can actually get more of what you want and strengthen the relationship at the same time. And uh, when you think about what value we often leave on the table, once you open your eyes to the world of negotiation, you realize, wow, my whole life, I could have just been getting more by asking. That's crazy. And that's why I call the show Negotiate Anything. Because I think the biggest barrier people have behind confidence when it comes to these difficult conversations is a lack of negotiation awareness. They don't recognize
0: opportunities to negotiate and and create more value in their lives. Here's an abstract question. If people are kind of by default unprepared and ill-prepared to go into these conversations and to discover the deal, that would mean that the person on the other side of the table probably is too. And so going into it, I would assume with some preparation can really work in your favor because more chances than not, maybe the other party hasn't done any of that work either.
1: 100%. And sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes it is really obvious. And I, I tell people the, the process of negotiation, uh, negotiating effectively often makes you the leader of the conversation not only do you have the initiative in the conversation where they're kind of responding to you but you're actually showing them how they should comport themselves during the conversation asking great questions making sure you empathize those type of things and the concept of reciprocity will lead them to reflect those same behaviors back to you so even if they are not the high level negotiator you are after um you know downloading those guys and checking out the podcast (laughs) you uh Um, they will start to up their game based on what they're seeing from you.
0: I love that. You're just putting so much more structure and meaning behind some of this advice that I've intuitively found to work because similarly, when people hire a freelancer, they want to be led. They want you to be the expert in the process. They want you to get them to the outcome that they're hiring you for. And if you don't go into these conversations willing to lead, willing to show, here's how it's going to work, here's why it's going to work for you too, They don't get that feeling and so they're not confident in hiring you
1: exactly and when you think about the um, the concept of authority uh, book reference uh, robert cialdini influence it's persuasive if you demonstrate that you have authority in your field then people are going to be more persuaded by the things that you say and that's why especially as freelancers it's important to lead the dance because they're hiring you for your expertise expertise that they do not have you have to be willing to lead that conversation. And not only would that lead to better outcomes just from negotiation perspective, but it will make them more easily persuadable because they see you as that authority
0: figure. After the break, Kwame talks about his strategy for becoming a respected thought leader over the course of just a few years. So stick around and we'll be right back. D2C Pod hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolus, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. D2C Pod is a podcast about all things direct to consumer. Ramon and Blaine cover everything for starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. They talk with founders, marketers, and creators and cover topics like brand building, social media, influencer marketing, website conversion, paid media, consumer trends, email marketing, and more. So if you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, listen to DTC pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link J. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot slash J and let them know that I sent you. Welcome back to Creative Elements. When we left off in Kwame's story, he had ruled out politics, but had discovered a love of negotiation. So he began to create a new strategy for his career after law school.
1: Thinking back to strategy, what my strategy was for politics was, all right, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get a nice job afterwards working at a law firm. It's going to get me a lot of respect. And then I'm going to run for the state Senate seat, 15th district when I'm around 29 or 30. That was the, it was very, very, Targeted and now that's gone. I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I look at the, um, the different negotiation experts out there. They have these books and these degrees and everything. I was like, well, I have degrees. I don't have a book. And the thing is, I'm, I'm really young. I, I graduated younger than, than most people. I remember spending uh, you know, uh, about a month in, in solitude trying to grow a beard so people could respect me so I could look, look a little bit older. I've gone through that and, phase too. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I knew that I couldn't just come out of law school and say, even with those accolades and say, hey, I'm a negotiation expert, trust me. So I spent a little bit of time in... Um, Uh, just kind of thinking through what it was uh, I was going to do. So I did some civil rights work out of school. One of my professors hired me to do uh, health equity and criminal justice work. So I did that. And then once I started to figure out what the, the plan was, the new plan was, then I started to make some moves. So this plan was to create my own law firm practice for about 10 years and then say, Hey, I've practiced so long. Now you can trust me as a, as a negotiation expert. And uh, so I created my law firm while working full time and, and was seeing clients on the side, eventually was able to transition. And um, then I just challenged myself. I said, after starting to practice generating some income, doing okay, but really not enjoying it that much, I said to myself, well, what's stopping me from from doing it right now? Why not just do both at the same time? And so that's when in 2016, I started the podcast, Negotiate Anything. And I said, well, listen, I'm just gonna do this. It'll be fun. Help me to establish some credibility. And then through doing that, some people reached out and said, hey, can you consult with us on this case? It's a multi-million dollar deal. It was a lawyer out in Nevada. And he was telling me, he said, I've been practicing for about 28 years and uh, the negotiation, the psychology side has always been a struggle for me. So I'd love to work with you. And as I'm listening to him, I'm saying to myself, I cannot believe this. I can never let him know that even though he's been practicing for 28 years, I've only been on this earth for 27 years. <laughs> I can't let him know.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> And this guy came from listening to your podcast? Yep. This is another thing that I talk to freelancers about. When when we get in our own heads and kind of have this almost imposter syndrome feeling of, how could this person possibly be hiring me? It's because the skill they're hiring you for is just one skill in a collection of skills that makes up a human. And you are better at that skill than them, even though they may have a hundred other skills that they have honed for 28 years and can teach you a lot about. This one skill is why they're hiring you. And it's because you are better at this one skill. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So something that keeps standing out to me, and maybe it's related to your interest in strategy, you just mentioned that you plan to start your law firm and practice for 10 years so that then you could talk about being a, an expert of negotiation. And before that, you were talking about this, this vision, the this strategy of running for an elected office at a certain age. When and how did you pick up this Long-term view of how you're operating your life because we don't live in a in a culture or a society that really teaches you to think that long term.
1: And Jay, that's the thing we we have to take more control over our education because think about it. So I have three degrees. That's a lot. People would say that. Oh, Kwame, you're educated. But here's the thing: for me, my real education started after law school. And so my goal usually in years that it's not a pandemic is to read a book a week because then I'm in control of my self-education. It's so obvious that people miss it. And so I like to talk about it almost in mystical terms. So imagine the people who you admire the most, the smartest people in the world, and you could go to them and then they give you this like glowing orb and they say, this glowing orb, this is my wisdom. This is everything I know. Here, take it." it and put it inside yourself. And then you have it. Well, the thing is that happens and those things are called books and and they take the best of themselves, what they've learned through mistakes, what they've learned through doing well, and they give it to you. And so it's, it's such an obvious opportunity. And so when you go through school, a lot of times they're teaching you what to think, but they're not teaching you exactly how to think. They're teaching you how to be followers, but not teaching you how to be leaders. And through being able to consume a lot of books from people that you respect, it puts you in a position to start to think differently about the world. And so that's really the next level of strategy for me. When I started to say, oh, I'm starting to see these commonalities of the successful people in the world. If I can take that and those, those commonalities, not the specific things that they did, but those general principles and apply it to what
0: I'm doing, then I'm gonna be ahead of the game. And not only was Kwame taking control of his own education, But he began to see that his own strategy was to educate others in negotiation and conflict resolution.
1: I realized that what I was really going for is thought leadership. And I started to generate this new philosophy on how to be seen as a thought leader. And so I think about it as having multiple pillars. The first pillar is having a method of distribution of your message that you are in complete control of. So for you, it would be this amazing podcast. For me, it's my podcast. So that's great, so that's one. And so you start to slowly build your audience that way. And so then the next one was you have a speech that has high production value that people can see online. And so for me, it was the Ted talk. And so for my thing, I, I want to hit one of these every single year. So 2016 was the podcast, 2017 was the Ted talk, and then 2018, that was the book. I said it at the beginning of the year, I made it, made a public commitment. I'm going to finish the book this year. And so I finished the book that fall. And so now I have a book and thankfully it was able to become an Amazon bestseller, made it to number three in its category behind getting to yes, the two versions of getting to yes. And, um, I can accept that. (laughs) That's
0: pretty good book. (laughs) Pretty good book. How important was the podcast audience to reaching that milestone and that success for the book?
1: Oh, it was huge. It was huge and incredibly important. And the thing is, your audience grows every time you put out a piece of high quality content. And so for me, I just had to focus on continually putting out new content and speaking to the needs of my audience. In order to do that effectively, I had to get an idea of who my audience was. Because for me, as a small business attorney, I assumed that my audience was going to be comprised mostly of entrepreneurs I know these people need it. Then I surveyed the audience and only a third of the audience was uh, comprised of entrepreneurs. Most of the people were aspiring entrepreneurs or in-career professionals who just wanted to use it for career advancement. And so paying attention to that research and then also the statistics of each episode made me realize, wow, I can't be as narrowly business focused as I thought I was going to be. That's actually, I had a different name. It was called Negotiation for Entrepreneurs at the time. Hmm. And then after I did that research, I said, oh, we have to change it. And I let the the audience choose through democracy and they chose negotiate anything. And to be honest, Jay, I didn't like it. (laughs) I didn't like it at first, but the people spoke and now I do.
0: That's such a powerful lesson, too, because you have this idea of who your audience is. And I'm seeing this right now with the students who take freelancing school. It's not the avatar that I thought it was going to be. And I was just talking to my girlfriend about this last night. What does that mean? Does that mean that my message is off? Should I retailer my message and try to go after the target avatar that I was using before? Or should I double down on the audience that has found me and has been interested in what I'm teaching? How did you think about that? Because I'm sure you had a similar question.
1: Yeah, it, for a bit, there was a bit of an existential type of question, like on a deep level, who, who am I as a person? And then I realized I'm in it for the love of the game. I, going back to psychology, nothing's changed. I, always, I want to help people and I want to help people through this approach. And so as you go through like my books, the course, the TED talks, all that stuff, you see that there's a very strong focus on psychology throughout all of it. And the goal is to help people. And so our, our unifying uh, motto here, just our mission, is that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And um, our goal is to help as many people as possible through empowering them through this skill so they can live their best life. And so wherever those people happen to be, whatever they happen to be doing, we will do it. It's funny too, thinking strategically within the business, I I thought the majority of my experience would come from coaching. I thought that's going to be the main focus. But then I realized, no, workshops, I enjoy doing those a lot more. And financially, it makes a lot more sense to focus on getting bigger audiences and and doing those types of engagements too. So in the business world, nonprofits, it's it's been really interesting to see just the diversity of, uh, of people that we've helped. I, I was talking to our Um, I I think it's our PR person. And she was like, Hey, like what, what's the commonality between all of the, all of your clients. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) They, They need to, they have difficult conversations and we make difficult conversations easier, but from like fortune 500 companies to lawyers, law firms, to nonprofit organizations, real estate agents, all that stuff. Once people recognize that we can help them in a very practical way, they reach out.
0: And to my knowledge, you've completely bootstrapped everything about this business, right? Yep. And so in the beginning of this, in the first two years, three years, when there's probably a lot less revenue coming in through the door, I imagine there was a point when you were probably incentivized to work with a higher paying customer versus somebody who may still be very much being the podcast audience, but can't afford much. How did you think through the services that you provide as services and who you work with to kind of get through what I call like this, this three-year chasm of like really difficult (laughs) bootstrapping of a, of a business like this.
1: Yeah. And I think, first of all, we have to start to think differently about business. I think a lot of times people romanticize business, but it takes a lot of grit, especially those first three years. Like you said, most businesses are losing money like losing money going into it. Thankfully I was marginally profitable and people are like, oh, congrats, you're profitable. But think about what that means. It's. <laughs> Okay. Like you made a dollar that could be, that's profitable. So it, 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 there's a, there, there ebbs and flows the whole time. And one of the things that helped me was uh, I'm still a practicing attorney. I still have my license and everything. So whenever I, we reached a point that was particularly difficult, I could lean back on that, do a little bit of legal work just to add some fuel to the fire. That was really helpful. But I wanted to always stay focused on making sure that the business that I created was comprised of working with people that I enjoy working with. If it's not fun, I don't want to do it. What's the point? Then I created a job for myself that I want to escape just just like the previous jobs. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. And so it became a lot pickier when it came to the opportunities that came my way. And it's very tempting at the beginning when you're focused on survival to to uh, be patient in that way. And I remember talking to one of my mentors, he said, well, you have, to, you have to plant seeds. You have to keep on planting seeds. And a lot of times people think tactically. And when I say tactically, they're thinking short-term, I'm going to do this tactic to get money now, but they're not thinking strategically, which is focusing on your goal and then backtracking from there, creating a plan, a long-term plan in order to move there. And so he's like, you have to keep planting seeds. And I said, Brian, but what if I'm hungry now? (laughs) I'm very hungry now. (laughs) And uh, I, I love playing tennis. It's my favorite sport. And one of the things that Rafael Nadal says is that you have to be willing to suffer. You have to be willing to suffer. It's. It's in many cases, a necessary part of the process. And I think about the success that I wanted to have early in the business. I was really hungry for that success. I really wanted to be respected in the industry. I wanted to have a massive audience. I wanted to have these opportunities. I'm like, I know I could do it. I know I can do it. I could know I can do it. And now looking back, if I had the opportunities that I have now, and I was given them at that time, I wouldn't have been ready. I needed to go through this very, very painful process to build up the necessary skills in order to perform at the level I'm performing at now. And I tell you, it's, it's really hard to appreciate it in the moment, but if you take the time and learn those life lessons and continue to educate yourself during those times, you will get to where you want to go.
0: It just takes a lot of patience. When we come back, Kwame and I talk about prioritization, time management, and knowing when to hire help. Right after this. If you work with clients and you want to grow your top line revenue without growing a big payroll at the same time, then consider attending the Solopreneur Summit, a VIP event hosted by my friend Ken Yarmish. Ken has personally closed over $50 million in his career as a solopreneur, all in professional services. I've learned a lot from Ken and he's worked with some of the biggest names today. People like Matt Barker, Nashin Chen, Laura Acosta, and Jake Ward trust Ken to get clearer offers and scale their business with systems. Now, Ken is running a two-day in-person summit on May 9th and 10th to help you build systems across marketing, sales, and client delivery. So now you too can grow without hiring. This will be a workshop setting. It's the anti-loud obnoxious conference with no more than 50 people who will go deep with Ken and other experts that he's brought in to solve actual problems in your business. Ken and his invited experts will show you their proven systems across personal branding, driving inbound leads, social selling, crafting scalable offers, using AI to automate client delivery, and more. Stop guessing and start learning from those who are three to five steps ahead of you. Get actionable tactics and proven systems to accelerate your pipeline, close more deals, and get out of client delivery hell. Head to trs.club slash summit to learn more and register for the Solopreneur Summit today. At that website, you'll see some of the other experts that are coming in that will allow you to go behind the scenes and look at their actual businesses. Again, that URL is trs.club slash summit. One last time, that's trs.club slash summit. You may or may not know that I have a bit of a domain buying obsession. Whether it's a new project idea or domains related to my existing projects, I'm buying them all. I have creatorscience.tv, creatorscience.fm. So let me tell you about my newest purchase. It's jclaus.bio. Connection with your audience is everything. We make all this content and then we want to direct our audience somewhere. Well, a great new option is with a .bio domain. Instead of some long link tree or third-party URL that people can't understand and is hard to say out loud, using your .bio domain for your link in bio lets you manage all your links in one spot with a custom domain that tells people exactly who you are. It's short, it's memorable, it's professional. Your .bio domain name is your way to share yourself with the world. And right now, you can get your own .bio domain name for less than $3 at PorkBun. Yes, that's a real website and a real registrar just visit porkbun.com slash creator. That's P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com slash creator. Let me tell you about one of my favorite podcasts that I've been listening to for years. It's called The $100 MBA Show. And wherever you are on your business journey, The $100 MBA Show has lessons that can help you take the next step forward. The $100 MBA Show is a best of Apple Podcasts winner, literally one of the top Apple Podcasts of all time and it's hosted by my friend and former guest, Omar Zenholm. Omar is a business school dropout turned successful entrepreneur, and he shares real-world lessons on starting, growing, and scaling your business. You may even know his software product, Webinar Ninja. What I love about the $100 MBA show is that these are well-produced, bite-sized episodes on everything from creating a product, connecting with your market, sales, building a team, and more. This show is legit. It does over 2 million downloads every month. Whether you're a small-time solopreneur or scaling your startup to investor level, there's valuable real-world advice for you in the $100 MBA's archive of thousands of episodes, with new episodes three days a week. If that sounds interesting to you, and it should, just search for $100 MBA show wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to my conversation with Kwame Christian. We've covered a lot of ground so far, and we've heard a lot about Kwame's thought leadership strategy. That strategy has yielded a successful TEDx talk, a book, a podcast, and much more. So I wanted to hear how Kwame manages his time and gets all of this done. It's tough. It's really tough. And again, that's,
1: that's, uh, there's a bit of maturity that comes with the philosophy of time management as well. And um, I needed to make sure that I made space for the things that are important. Uh, one of the things that I, I like... Uh, The visual that I keep in mind is that it's a juggling act. Everybody's juggling. And so as you're juggling, you put more balls in the air, right? As you take on more responsibility, you put more balls in the air. The thing that people don't recognize is that some balls are rubber, some are glass. Some balls you drop and then they can't be fixed. Other balls can bounce back. And so what I've become really focused on is that with my family, I can't drop that ball. I'm not going to do that type of damage. But um, when it comes to the other stuff, like work-related stuff, I, I can drop those balls. They'll be, they'll bounce back. And I think there needs to be a little bit of grace and self-compassion when it comes to this. Because we have these, we look up to some of these people and we, they say, oh yeah, I work 80 hours a week and then I do this and then I do that. Why? Because I have to, because I want to be great. It's like, whoa, you're not a person. Like, the, And first of all, that might not even be who you are. And now I realize that I am the kind of person that I would have looked up to in 2016 and understanding what my day to day is now, it's very different from what I thought it was going to be. Cause I thought I had to turn myself into a machine. But that's not realistic, it's not possible. And when you consider self-care, I mean, you're gonna burn yourself out. And I think a lot of people are burning out because they're doing it the wrong way. I just finished a book called 8020, 20 The Pareto Principle. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody has a, a basic understanding about the idea that 20% of your inputs will lead to 80% of your outputs. So for instance, 80% of your revenue is going to come from 20% of your great clients. And we have a decent understanding about it. But going into that book made me feel like I've never heard the principle before. He went into such a level of depth. And it made me realize that even in the midst of this pandemic, because of my willingness to pivot and focus on those highly leveraged activities, I was able to right now the business in a place that's better than it was beforehand. And I was really concerned because... Everything I did was focused on me getting on a plane and giving trainings across the country. And then that was taken away. I'm like, how am I going to figure this out? But slowing down and making sure that I'm doing the right things was the key. And so here's the thing, thinking about things that are gonna slip through the cracks, I've never been more behind on email. I've never been more behind on LinkedIn messages. And all of these things, everybody's trying to vie for my attention. And what I would do is I would go outside, take a leisurely walk and just focus myself and say, What will I care about in five years? Will I care that I sent this email back about this bad business opportunity? No, I won't. I'll forget this. I will forget this. But what will I care about that I would do? And then I would do those things. And so Jay, here's the thing. I stopped doing a a to-do list and I stopped doing random things. I will slow down and walk around the community until I know the most valuable thing to do for the day. And then I'm just going to do that one thing and everything else will drop. And some of those balls are going to be glass. But then you recognize that the ball, some of the balls that you were trying to juggle were not important at all. <laughs> so you just need to be more strategic about the things you, you can and should not do. I think that's the key because we live in a time where busyness is like a badge of honor. It's, it's not necessary. Are you being busy? or Are you being productive? I think that's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves.
0: This is so hard for me not to go down so many of these rabbit holes because so much of what you're saying, I'm I'm like months behind your solutions that you're finding. And I'm like struggling through, oh my gosh, I have more notifications than ever. I can't give people the attention that I'm accustomed to being able to give people. How will how will I rebound from this? And I love the the metaphor of glass balls versus rubber balls? Because I've I've kind of had the same visualization. I don't know what the game is called. You know that game where there's like a guy on a tightrope and you're walking back and forth across this tightrope and things are falling and you're trying to catch them as this guy and you lose when you don't catch the ball. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's all about yeah. timing and about the speed at which things are dropping. I think about that image all the time when it comes to business. You've hired a couple people onto your team at the American Negotiation Institute can you talk about that decision and how that works? Because again, for, for people listening to this who are bootstrapping their business, they're saying, I would love to be able to hire people to help support some of these functions. But how do you actually get there?
1: Yeah, it's tough. Um, again, suffering is one of the things. I tell you, one of the keys to being a good entrepreneur or successful at anything is pain tolerance. have to be willing to learn from that. And um, it's tough. It's it's always tough taking the step to invest in somebody. I, I think about the um, what people say about children, and it's true, you'll never be ready to have a child as much as you think you are, it's going to be incredibly difficult. And for me, there was never really a good financial time to bring somebody on, but I needed to take that hit in order for the business to grow. Uh, Because again, you have to look into the future. Where do I want to be in five years? Okay, what types of things do I need to do? Can I do that by myself? No, I can't. It's going to take some strategic investment. I'm going to need to pull back on some of the luxuries that I was that I wanted to indulge in in order to make this strategic investment. And so our, our chief operating officer, Catherine Kanapke, she's fantastic. She had a lot of patience, um, willing to do some work on the side while she was working full-time in order to make that transition. Um, and now we're at a point where both of us making a consistent salary every month, which is great, but it took some time. And I think you have to find the right person and one of the things that I'm interested in in, in, in addition to being able to competently do the work, is loyalty. Are you willing to kind of go through these difficult things? Are you doing this for a job or is this kind of a calling for you? And so everybody who I work with, I want them to be fully bought in to the mission. So when we have those hard times, they stick with us. And so she's the only person who's full-time W-2 employee. Everybody else is a contractor to a certain extent, but consistent contractors. Because that's the thing, we need consistency. Because even if you're dealing with somebody who gives you a really, really, really great price, but they're kind of flaky, Think about the amount of time it takes to, to make sure that they're doing the thing the right way. That's an expense. If you think about your time as money, they're not as cheap as they appear, peer. And so you have to be willing to invest a little bit in order to get your business to where you, where you want to go. But you have to do it
0: responsibly. I would expect that you probably put more thought into hiring processes than I have too. Because what I see when I think about hiring contractors or uh, even hiring full-time someday, I see the trap of, being in a spot where it becomes a task on my to-do list that I want to cross off. I just want to finish that task of hiring somebody. And if I do that, I won't necessarily hire the best person possible. So how did you think about interviewing and speaking with somebody to come to the right hire, knowing that this first hire is really, really important to a fledgling business?
1: Oh, Jay, you're going to love this. And so um, for me, going back to the psychology roots and thinking about this strategically, I have to recognize who I am. In chess, you, have to, you see the whole board. And in life, sometimes you can't see the whole board because you're too close. I have biases. I have biases. I have weaknesses. But we all have a self-serving bias, so we often see ourselves better than what we actually are. And so what I did was I had a blind hiring process. So I talked to my family and my close friends and I said, Hey, I want you to hire this person for me. I want you to go through these resumes and determine who's the best for me based on my character flaws. And I want you to hire somebody based on my character flaws. And so we had people submit their resume, submit a cover letter and all that stuff. And they all picked Catherine. And so we did the uh, interview wow. and it was it worked out really well. I knew Catherine from before. I didn't know who she was in the application process. I didn't see the resumes. I had my my virtual assistant send the resumes to my family. I had no part in it. I just told people where to send the application to. And it worked out really, really well.
0: I love that idea. Man, so much about this. I'm just like, this is an incredible way to think about this. And it comes back to this this focus on strategy that you have. So with, with a little bit of our time left, I'd love to look at present day American Negotiation Institute, your podcast, your books. What's the chessboard look like for you right now in the next five years, the next 10 years? How are you thinking about that?
1: For me, it's, I focus on two R's. It's reach and revenue just reach and revenue, that's it. So I'll do something if it gives me a lot of reach, I'll do something if it gives me revenue, that's it. And it helps to really focus. And again, thinking back to the mission statement, best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. We need to help as many people as we can, it's a calling. And so there are a couple unique opportunities that, uh, that have uh, uh, come, uh, come about. So the first one uh, was, I, I always wanted a reality TV show. Like I made that decision in 2017. I said that's the thing that makes the most sense. And so um, this year, two production companies reached out, and the one that I'm I'm working with, they were actually pitching a show for Food Network, where it was going what? to be, um, <laughs> where it's going to be essentially, yeah. It's gonna be uh, um, like business relationship, uh, like counseling for uh, for uh, business partners. So they own the restaurant, they, ha- they have these issues and I go in and resolve, cause I'm a mediator. So it, it works. Then COVID hit, so restaurants are in trouble. But they the production company said, listen, if things don't work out with uh, Food Network, we're gonna put it on pause till next year, see how things, if cl- things clear up. But regardless, we wanna try and do a project with you. So maybe in the next three or so years that could happen and again spreading this message of how to have these difficult conversations as far as we can. That's one thing. A book agent reached out to me to write a second book uh, we're pitching it right now on how to have difficult conversations about race. And so taking that background of civil rights and blending it with negotiation and conflict resolution to give people a, the skill set they need to be better allies, advocates and and deal with those really awkward conversations that come up. And so we'll we'll see where that goes in the next couple months or so. So there are a few cool things coming down the pike. I'm excited. And, and regardless, even if those things don't work out, just keep on moving forward, keep on building the audience and and helping as many people as we can.
0: I love these seeds that you're talking about. This is exactly what you're talking about when you're saying planting seeds and a key to planting seeds is not being so dependent on any one of those seeds taking root right now. And what you're just saying, you know, that first opportunity, something outside of anybody's control happens. And, that seed's going to have to continue to germinate to use what I think is the right language for biology and plants. Both of those opportunities sound like on their surface, reach opportunities in the immediate term. As a bootstrap business, how do you marry that with your need for revenue today? Because both of those would be a big investment of your time.
1: Absolutely. So this is the cool thing. Let's bring it back to chess. And so in chess, one of the s- central principles is to control the center. The center of the board is where all the action happens. A lot of times people make the mistake of putting their pieces on the periphery and they, they try to make moves on the side when when they're, the center is destroyed. And so you have to ask yourself in your life and in your business, what's the center? And you have to protect the center. So no matter what I do, I need to make sure that my wife and my son still love me. I need to make sure that I'm still available for that. So that is a central piece that I can't I can't shift that. And then the other thing with the business, I have I have an employee, I have a team, and I also have an audience that depends on me for constant information. And so I need to make sure that my audience is taken care of and we still are continually making sure that our monthly expenses are being met while creating savings for the business because now more than ever I understand the need of business savings <laughs> because of yeah. this pandemic. And so I need to make sure that those things are secure. And so as long as those things are secure, it allows me to be a lot more creative with the things that I want to do. And so I can, once I have that central piece of the business really, really solidly in place, and I make sure I don't lose focus on those things, then I can take some really big reaches, really big reaches, because when you're thinking that big, you just need one to succeed, just one that'll be nice. And then even if it doesn't happen, you don't have any pressure because the
0: center is secure. Love that. And I want to get even a little bit more specific on some of these reaches because something that I'm starting to experience and and notice about my own blind spots as an audience grows and as more people know what you're doing, opportunities come your way. And it feels like seeds are happening. It's like, this is great. This is starting to come my way. But I'm also recognizing that I should be doing more to manifest, create my own opportunities that are important to me. How do you think about that and how much outbound effort are you putting into creating your own seeds?
1: (laughs) Timing of this is perfect, Jay, because everything was really passive for me before, everything was super passive, just sitting here and um, getting workshop agreements and requests and all those things. I was just sitting there and letting it happen. And I never one time really pitched people with intentionality, uh, creating a campaign for reaching out to people. And uh, then I started talking to more of my friends and learning from them and recognizing a lot of people are making a lot of money, the majority of their money, if not all, by actually being aggressive and, uh, and moving forward and taking Taking those risks. And so I was taking these really, really big shots, but I wasn't taking those. Hey, I'm going to try to get a, I'm swinging for a single, I'm swinging for a double. I'm only swinging for grand slams, (laughs) you know? And the thing is, now that I have the team, I can automate these pitches. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be me reaching out via email and everything. I can have my team send emails as me and then some of the people bite. And so now I'm more intentional about being aggressive every every month, trying to have these campaigns and seeing what comes of it. It's, it's been incredible. And honestly, if I'm just being completely honest, uh, a big part of this uh, reluctance to reach out to people was a manifestation of imposter syndrome. It really was. And um, my, my love of strategy can sometimes hold me back because I see myself as an intelligent person. And if I create a strategy, like a marketing strategy, and then it doesn't fully work, then is that an indictment on my intelligence? And so what I recognize is that I would create these strategies, spend a lot of time creating these strategies, but I would never fully execute. Never fully execute because then I could say, Oh, the only reason it didn't succeed was because I didn't try my hardest. And again, it was the pandemic that helped me to recognize wow, Kwame, you've created a lot of plans, but you haven't fully executed them all the way. And so now I'm saying, Listen, more, I'm keep you. Obviously, you keep an eye on the overall strategy for your life and the business trajectory. But then you have these I think about them in terms of sprints. What is the plan for this? two to three month sprint. Okay. I'm going to create this plan. I'm going to set a time period, seven days. I'm going to strategize after the seventh day strategy's done. I can make adjustments based on inputs after execution, but I will fully execute on this strategy no matter how I feel. And uh, the results have been significant. So yeah, focusing on outbound stuff, that's
0: going to be a, a focus of the business going
1: forward because it works.
0: This is such a beautiful full circle moment because, like we were speaking about early on in this interview, when we're talking about freelancers and negotiating their own, you know, projects and coming in and leading the conversation. That's where I see so much opportunity to come in and say, Hey, it looks like we could have this opportunity to collaborate. I've already thought through it. I've done the planning. I can lead this. I know what is a win-win for both of us. Should we do that? Just lowering the bar to yes. And it works. Those singles, those doubles, that happens all the time. And so many uh, so many freelancers and creatives could very easily impact their bottom line by just going to people who are already close relationships, who you've been thinking, oh, I'm sure I could do a, a project, a collaboration, something with this person, but you're not asking. And it really comes down to asking.
1: <laughs> That's really it. The majority of negotiations fail because they simply don't happen.
0: such a pleasure catching up with Kwame here in this conversation. The man is a master of strategy and you can tell that all of those games of chess have really paid off. Time and time again, I'm reminded that you can really get ahead with just a little preparation for big conversations. And not only should you prepare for big conversations, but you can be proactive in trying to create those conversations in the first place. And I really needed to hear his perspective on time management. As your business grows and you introduce more and more layers, it feels like you're going to hit a ceiling quickly. But by intensely focusing on the most important aspects each day, you can keep things moving forward even if you drop a ball here and there. I highly recommend going over to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com and checking out those negotiation guides that Kwame spoke about and a link to that will be in the show notes. I'll also be sharing these resources in our Creative Elements Listeners Facebook group. So search Creative Elements Listeners on Facebook to find that group and join if you haven't already. Thanks to Kwame for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Brian Steele for mixing the show and also creating our music. If you like this episode, you can let me know on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. I'd love to hear from you. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week.